0: Hello, everyone. It is January 24th, 2023, and this is episode 19 of season 2 of the More Math for More People podcast. Cheers. Hello, everyone. I'm Misty. And I'm Joel. And this is the More Math for More People podcast, brought to you by CPM Educational Program.
1: On this podcast, we discuss the CPM curriculum, trends in math education, and share strategies to shift instructional practices to create a more inclusive and student-centered classroom.
0: We also highlight upcoming CPM professional learning opportunities and have conversations with math educators about how they do what they do.
1: And we always try to have a little bit of fun and laughter as well.
0: Indeed we do. So, come and find out what shenanigans we're up to on this episode. Boom.
1: Are you ready? Yeah, I'm
0: ready. Okay. So, today I heard you say, Joel, is, Mm -hmm. all right, so we have to make sure we say this the right way. It's Mm -hmm. National Compliment Day. Not compliment day, (laughs) though no one says it. They just say compliment, compliment, but it is different, right? It's compliment with an I, Mm -hmm. not compliment with an E.
1: That's true. So I really, uh, I just have to say you said that so well, Mm, um, with the I, that was really nice way to say it.
0: (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I appreciate your compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it makes it less mathy if it's not compliment, but that's true. That's all right. Oh, well. That's okay.
1: Yeah, it's national. I remember.
0: I remember learning these two homophones. Are they homophones? Yes. When I was uh, younger, and I remember like the, one of the tricks of remembering somehow is that complement with an e is like completing something. E, right? I don't know why I remember that always when I'm yeah. trying to figure out which one it is, but it doesn't help me with our. You know, with the tickets are complimentary because that doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't fall into either. You just remember that's an I. Maybe because they're tickets, the tickets are complimentary. Now you can remember it that way.
1: Anyway, but that's not the kind
0: of compliment that we're talking about.
1: You got me thinking right now.
0: Well, it's not. I mean, that's. Not, I mean, is it National Compliment Day about giving people free things?
1: Probably not. Um, no, uh, it's about no. Um, <laughs> it's about giving some respect, uh, having some positive in your relationship, giving somebody a reason to smile, mm. acknowledging some happiness, right, and bringing some joy into the world, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, Joel, you know, you're, I just going to say, you're a great podcast partner. You know that? Thank you. I enjoy doing this podcast with you. I enjoy you doing
1: sure. it with you too. Thank you for that.
0: Everyone's going to be throwing up into their. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do see this is kind of funny to me that there's a, a date for the first compliment ever.
0: <laughs> what?
1: I, I don't know how they date it. I know. Um. I, don't, I don't know how they, well, it was the 1300s. So. <laughs>
0: wow. Nobody made any compliments for, you know, a long time. That's, that's pretty yeah. amazing.
1: Actually, they probably did, but the actual word compliment, I think, is what they're talking about.
0: <laughs> oh. oh I read, they, I read they, it They didn't call the it a compliment <laughs> until then? They just <laughs> yeah. called it saying nice stuff? That's right. Huh. Okay. So, it's interesting how the world – does it tell you, like, wait, I need more information. What do you mean by this?
1: Well, it just says –
0: first time the word compliment was
1: – In the 1300s, yeah. So, it says the first version oh. of the word compliment – Mm-hmm. Which was derived from the Latin complimentum
2: mm-hmm.
1: of course. was created in this time. So somebody probably was saying such nice things about <laughs> other people, and they're like, "We gotta, we gotta <laughs> like copyright this." Or, <laughs>
0: well, like clearly it came from a, a Latin title.
1: word. That's right. <laughs> so
0: it must have been around for much longer. When I the would think so.
1: Latin-speaking so. people
0: mm-hmm. said complimentum <laughs> or whatever that was. So clearly that word has been around longer. That's that's interesting. Absolutely. I feel like my job is often to fact check your
1: facts. <laughs> I think that's necessary. <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of that, so, some people would say that when I, they would doubt my facts sort of thing, but I think mm-hmm. that my facts have to be at least like 90% accurate for, for people to believe me in the first place. And then the, mm-hmm. anyways, we can, that's another, that's another day, like day of <laughs> doubting or. Day of of telling falsehoods or something. Uh Uh
0: Uh All right. So it's National Compliment Day, which means uh, you should go out and...
1: You can celebrate by complimenting a stranger.
0: Ask people for compliments.
1: You could ask people.
0: You could compliment yourself.
1: You could compliment yourself. That's actually a good idea.
0: You could do the look in the mirror and compliment yourself or not look in the mirror. That's true. (laughs) Complimenting yourself is a good thing.
1: I think that's true.
0: But yes, I think that it is. It is a day to think about how can you show some appreciation and
1: compliment or others, anyone, including others. Yep. Awesome. Absolutely.
0: All right, how are you going to celebrate, Joel?
1: Well, I, you gave me a good idea just now. Just I'm going to compliment myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I know that uh, when I check into work each day, we. Um, do a little check in to see what everybody's up to, and perhaps I'll celebrate by complimenting each check in. Mm. We'll see. We'll see how much time I have in the morning. <laughs> I, that might t- actually—I take that back. That would, that takes away from the holiday. I have to commit to the holiday and and not say this is too time consuming. That's true.
0: I think that that will be well received,
1: Joel. Yeah, I think it'll be a good one. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, head out and see what you can compliment today. Awesome. announcements announcements yeah i know it's exciting
1: i've got an announcement
0: i hear you have an announcement (laughs) i sure do please please announce it now
1: so cpm's residential institute for 2023 is happening again it's happening june 26th through june 30th and it's here in salt lake city utah and the information is on cpm.org you can read about what's going on, but all of our learning events are, again, going to be in one place. So if you want to bring multiple people to multiple events, that sort of thing. But the, the most important part of this announcement is that registration is open at the end of January here. So you'll be able to go on to our store and you'll be able to register for the Residential Institute starting now at the end of January.
0: And I, I think also if they want to see, they can find the list of the various offerings on CPM.org. They can also find it in the event catalog. Mm -hmm. They're able to search there um, for each of the residential items, and uh, then it will redirect them. There'll be a link to redirect them to the web store for the registration. Perfect. Yep, a do. All right. End of announcement. All right, all right. I know you've been waiting for this. It's time for part three of our conversation with Peter Lillodal. If you missed parts one or two, you'll need to go back to episode 2.17 and 2.18 and listen to those. This is the continuation, the final part, the climax, the the coup de grace, the final chapter of the Peter Lillodal conversation. Enjoy.
1: One thing too that we had been kind of looking into is you had published a supplement to building thinking classrooms. And so one of the, the, the main thing that was interesting to me anyway, and I know for a lot of teachers that we work with is how to s- support learners and often learners who I think your term is un- have that unfinished learning, right? A lot of times we talk about gaps, but yeah. I, I like the unfinished learning. A little bit better. And so that thin slicing, that flow sequence really came out in that chapter about supporting learners and things like that.
2: Right. And there's, you know, when we talk about students with unfinished learning, and I think the first thing we need to understand is that all students have unfinished learning. Yes. (laughs) Like maybe what, like 4% of our students learn everything we teach them, fully understand it, master it, and remember it 12 months later. Right. Like everybody else either doesn't fully learn it, doesn't fully master it, doesn't fully understand or doesn't fully remember it. And and so they have unfinished learning. There's what we often refer to as gaps. But how do we work with this? Right. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a whole bunch of inherent support that's built into a thinking classroom structure by the fact that the students are in this random group of three where they don't all have the same knowledge and they don't all have the same unfinished learning. So that they sort of support each other and fill in and do some of the heavy lifting where others can't and so on. But how do we support learners in our classroom that either come into our classroom with significant amounts of unfinished learning? So and, and this happens. this is a reality. Mm-hmm. How do we work with a small subset of our students to support them in the acquisition of, of content that, that comes well before the year that we're in right now right. which is distinct from, the unfinished learning that happens inside of a lesson. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm doing a thin slicing lesson and I notice as I'm doing it, that three of my students are not quite able to, they're not quite picking up on this, for example, coming back to the example of completing the square where that middle term is an odd number, like that's really causing problems for them. So now we have unfinished learning that's emerging in the middle of the lesson that I can then work with them at the end to sort of help scaffold and support versus a student who comes to me with significant unfinished learning and I need to continue to work with that I can't just cut bait on that and assume that everything is going to go well so it's how do I how do I work with these two different demographic, demographics or two different situations within the classroom yeah and there's certainly room to do that
1: So, in that situation, I was reading, uh, talking about, you could elaborate more on this too. Is do you regroup? Do you re put them in teams? Because you're talking about teams like where the teacher would be heavily supporting that team while the rest of the class is working on those thinking questions and things like that.
2: No. So, what we're trying to avoid is, you know, what the 80s was all about, which was let's carve these students off and and sequester them in some different way. No, we want them included, and we want them to feel included. Yeah. And so we, we still run the random groups. So if we're talking specifically about students who are, let's say they're coming to us with a whole bunch of unfinished learning, and, and so they may struggle, but they may not, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's say a student really struggles with the multiplication facts, and yet we're teaching, we're starting a unit on fractions. Well, if they're in a group where Someone else can do the heavy lifting of coming up with common factors and so on. That frees their cognitive load to focus on the conceptual ideas of fractions and, and the various representations and so on. So they can they they can actually, and we have lots of evidence of this, actually move forward with their learning hmm. of new conceptual ideas without having to be sort of weighed down by the fact that they have unfinished learning and some prerequisite knowledge. But that doesn't mean that we now can let go of the fact that they have unfinished learning and prerequisite knowledge. So we, we need to still work on that. Right. In other situations, the, the lack of prerequisite knowledge is maybe creating a debilitating barrier for them to be able to participate in the groups. And in that, those situations, and I didn't talk about that in either book, mm-hmm. but we've done work on this, we do something we call preloading. Which is, and you know, this is easier to do at elementary than it is at secondary, but knowing your learners and knowing what we're heading into, rather than always thinking about how do I clean up the mess at the end, is we think about it as how do we how do I can prepare, how can I prepare this student ahead of time so that they'll be successful in the activity that's to come? And what we found in our work was that preparing them so that they could keep up with their group was actually not helpful. What was helpful was preparing them, helping them in such a way that they can contribute to their group was more help. Mm-hmm. So that what can we give this student so that they enter that group with things to offer in the first five minutes? And that actually makes them feel much more like a contributing member of the group. And it also makes the group much more welcoming of that student. And one of the ways we do that actually is if we have that opportunity, is we work with the student ahead of time, we work through the task that's coming. We, uh, we write some little notes for them on a sticky note that they can have in the palm of their hand. And then we're like, we coach them as to what sorts of ideas they can contribute to the group in that first five minutes. And, and what's interesting is so often what we see is that the rest of the class, the students know, right? They know. We think we're being so subtle. They know. They know <laughs> which of their peers are strong and which of their peers are not strong. And they don't care. They don't care because to them, these are just kids and classmates. And, you know, we are the ones who label and rank and mm-hmm. sort kids. But to them, this, this guy is on my hockey team and we play baseball together and we we go biking together on the weekend because we live on the same street. It, like they don't care how how their friend is doing on the math quiz. Right. But they know. They know each other's strengths. They know each other's weaknesses. Right. They know which ones are getting extra support and which ones are not. And one of the things we see in classrooms often is how groups will embrace the student coming in because they know they got a sticky note in the palm of their hand, which is going to give them a leg up. And they're like, awesome, Benjamin, you're with us. Come on. What do you got? <laughs> what do you got on that? And, they, and everyone's kind of like talking about because Benjamin's coming in with assets here. Yeah. right. Yeah, which is such a different perspective on, um, on on thinking about students who who have unfinished learning. Uh, and it creates a totally different sort of social experience for them mm-hmm. in, in the classroom. I love that. That doesn't make it easy, nope. but it makes <laughs> it worth it. Sounds worth it.
0: I, I like that about, you know, because as you were saying that, I was really thinking about that idea of giving them an asset, right? like they, And really like thinking about what assets they might already bring. Or that we can help them to bring without like, just here's, here's the answer to take forward or here's a hint or whatever, but like, really like, here's a thing to contribute. Yeah. So what's changed for you since you, since you wrote, I know it's been so long since you wrote Building Thinking Classrooms, <laughs> but like what things, what things, you know, are you either, what practices have you changed your mind about maybe, or your, or your shifting direction or what, what things are you working on now?
2: Okay. Yeah. And then there's this, so before I answer that, there is this thing about writing a book, (laughs) like writing a book is not like you turn that last, you, you print out that last page and then the book is released the next day. Yeah. Like writing a book, as you know, is it takes time and then there is an editing process and then there is a, that sort of publishing process. And so, you know, my mind, there's never been that point where my mind says, okay, it's done. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't like there was that point, it's done and it's in print. There was always more. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So what has changed? What is it that I continue to work on? I think that there are some really obvious places, if anyone's been following along in some of the things that I've been doing, one of which is the evolution of meaningful notes, which is chapter 11 of the book, Mm -hmm. and how that has continued to evolve. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And how how we're still in this constant pursuit of, better metaphors and better frameworks or or organizers to help students to to capture their their learning in such a way that they can not only refer back to it, but that the process of capturing it in and of itself is a learning process. And there's been significant progress on that. Uh, And what's emerged now is this sort of five-stage process of note making and Mm -hmm. and some of my language on this has shifted in the book I refer to it as meaningful notes and I think that that's still a really good powerful description of it but I, I really lean more into now the the juxtaposing of note making versus note taking and and trying to really capitalize on that distinction so that we can understand the the sort of differences between the act of making meaning versus the act of just recording meaning made and and especially if it's not your meaning that's been made mm-hmm. so there's some evolution in there and those and, th- and that structure is a five-step process that i actually have a master's student doing her thesis on this right now where everybody starts at stage one it doesn't matter how old you are you stay at, you, st- you start at stage one what grade you're in kind of determines how far up the stages you go mm-hmm. um but you, everyone needs to start at stage one because it turns out that Students are not good at this, and it, and just because they're older doesn't make them less not good at it. Right, and then so that's one area, and these this, these stages are heavily organized around having students create worked examples, but not just making worked examples, selecting worked example, uh, selecting questions to turn into worked examples, and also critically reflecting on worked examples and trying to understand why a particular worked example might be insufficient. And by insufficient, I don't mean incorrect. I just mean that a, a worked example can only carry so much weight on its shoulders. It can only carry so much learning. And sometimes you need more than one worked example to carry the load of the learning that has happened that day. But, and, and we've always sort of done that for them. But to get them engaged in that process of recognizing what learning have I done today that's not embedded within this worked example and how would I select an example or a question to to turn into a worked example to carry that leftover load so that's one area that it's that has really evolved uh some small things changing of of the language around how we describe the different categories of or levels of proficiency we're now much more leaning into mild medium spicy Mm which is, in fact, we're leaning all the way into mild, medium and spicy, (laughs) which for me is this sort of psychological, like, I don't understand why this makes a difference, but it makes a difference and it makes an absolutely massive difference. Mm -hmm. And this is Mm -hmm. what I love about my research is sometimes we find big things that make big differences. Like let's get the students up on the whiteboard. Sometimes we find little things like it actually, if we, if we, When we give students our check your understanding questions, which is what previously was called homework, rather than just giving them a bunch of questions, put them into three categories and label those categories mild, medium and spicy. And you will see a drastically different behavior in your students Hmm. just from that simple act. And and why is that? I don't know. I don't know. I know (laughs) who doesn't want to be spicy. right? But I mean, but but there's something about that that is curious And interesting.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that is curious.
2: And there's some other areas, you know, some other things like one of the things I kind of regret in the book is I don't talk enough about the role of manipulatives and the role of technology. Mm. And my thinking hasn't changed on that at all. It just, it just, I haven't, I don't think I was clear enough in, in the book to indicate to people that I actually want. The reason I don't talk about it is because don't ask a fish about water. Like in my opinion, (laughs) Technology and manipulators should be ubiquitous within the classroom. I I, I don't think I need to talk about it any more than I need to talk about chairs and windows and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But I need I think I needed to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, So the thinking hasn't changed. The research hasn't changed. It's just the messaging around that has changed a little bit. Okay.
0: so. We're going to start to kind of wrap things up a little bit here. You're gonna you're gonna be at our teacher conference yes. in February. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Me too. Me too. We're going to be doing our keynote. We uh, we arrange the schedule for you special so that you can make it in, <laughs> and we're very excited about that.
2: Yeah. It's going to be a, a a tight entry.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll make it work. We'll make it work one way or another. We have even if we need to, we'll f- change some other things around.
2: It won't be the tightest. Uh, in July, I did a keynote at a big research conference in uh, Tasmania in Australia. Okay. Ooh. And I was flying from Vancouver. Actually, first I was flying from Kansas to Vancouver <laughs> uh, and I had to overnight somewhere. I can't remember where, but I actually got into Vancouver on the morning and then that evening we flew off to Australia Mm-hmm. And I arrived at the conference venue 15 minutes before the keynote. Wow. Oh my
0: goodness! <laughs> well, yeah. All right, we all we'll want to keep that your record. And uh, make yeah. ours <laughs> much much smoother, much smoother. So yeah. So I still I know it's still a couple almost three months away, but we're I'm curious if you have any uh, sneak peeks into what your keynote will be about.
2: I'm just as curious about it as you are. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might be. <laughs> So um, one of the things that I'm kind of known for is whatever I'm presenting on, often that, that my PowerPoint is always fresh in the sense that uh, I usually just finished it a few hours before. Um, <laughs> Perfect.
0: You know, I think, I think that's the best kind of talk.
2: for For me, what's really important is, and this has actually been a sort of source of challenge for me, which is sort of rewarding in its own right, is trying to be responsive to where the audience is before I started, like it used to be easy. I'd show up and give a talk on building thinking classrooms that nobody knew anything about. So I could start at square one and <laughs> let me take you to square six. And, uh, now I walk into a room and it's like, okay, we have people who are at, at square 11 and we have other people who are <laughs> in square one. And, And so now it's a much more diverse audience. And actually, what's interesting is the last few keynotes I've given, I've actually had two PowerPoints on the computer ready to go. And I've surveyed the audience as to where they are to determine which one I'm going to give. Nice. Because, you know, there's no point doing an introduction if everybody in the room has read the book three times. But at the same time, can I, the, the thing I say, you know, when you go to a concert and All they play is their new stuff off the latest Mm -hmm. album. It's it's not as like you want some of the old stuff, right? (laughs)
1: Exactly.
2: You want that concert (laughs) to feel a little bit like karaoke. Yeah. And and so it's I'm always playing with that blend of what can I talk about that people are familiar with, but I can add more depth into it or or maybe more nuance. And what can I also push out that is sort of the newer stuff that's emerging some of some of the new research like I shared with you earlier mm-hmm. but not just that there's also all these downstream effects from thinking classrooms that are emerging now that wasn't really part of my goal but nonetheless it's worth talking about some of these byproducts of building I think absolutely so we'll see
1: okay I can't wait to see
0: yeah no I I'll be excited to find out yeah and we're really excited that you're going to be doing. A session for us also after the keynote, and uh, we'll be uh, (laughs) we'll be making sure that uh, we don't end up with a line around the entire Hyatt (laughs) (laughs) waiting to get in because it will be it will be uh, a limited number of seats. So um, if people are taking a look at the program and wondering about that, there'll be information coming out soon about how you can get into Peter Liladoll's session.
2: (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) So. I'm looking forward to that too. I always love I I love doing those like workshops in those settings where mm-hmm. people actually get to feel a little bit of what it is I talk about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's my preferred medium, right? Like I'd rather workshop something than talk about something, but the it's just a matter of scale sometimes.
1: Sure.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us here.
1: Thank you so oh much. Oh, my gosh.
0: This has been such a really great conversation. And we look forward to seeing you in February. And hopefully you have a very nice winter until then. And it doesn't snow too much in Vancouver. Or just enough so you can do enough skiing. Yeah. Well,
2: not that we're, we're going to be here much, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And when you visit.
0: Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> thank you. And I look forward to seeing you in person in February.
1: I know. It'll be great.
0: So that's a wrap for this episode of the More Math for More People podcast.
1: For more information and to stay connected, you can find CPM on both Twitter and Facebook.
0: The music for the podcast was created by Julius H. and can be found on pixabay.com. Join us for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will that be, Joel?
1: It'll be February 7th, National E Day. That's right, the constant E is being celebrated on February 7th. You know, I always kind of wondered, how come Pi gets all the recognition for the uh, irrational numbers? Everybody knows Pi, is it because we get Pi on Pi Day? What can you get for E-Day? Not sure. So that's a question I definitely want to investigate when we get to E-Day. Some people think...